Let's get moving here, okay? Father, thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the peace that we have, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this body of believers, Lord. We thank you for this facility, Lord, and it's, it's a big, beautiful facility, Lord. And but Lord, we want to, Lord Jesus, um, we want to be givers, Lord. Sustain us for the next three years, Lord Jesus. And so, Father, we just come to you and, Father, open up our hearts and, Lord, that we would just, Lord, be givers to your ministry. Not, not to me, not to the staff, to, to your ministry. And so, Father, just be with us this morning as we open your word. And, Father, Lord, I decrease that you increase myself of myself, so fill me with yourself. And that I say unto you, every thought that enters my mind would be of you and not of me. Praise in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Praise him. Come on. Well, if you have your Bibles or Bible app, turn to 3 John. 3 John, just one chapter. 3 John, now in part 18 of our series, Authentic, Say Authentic. And obviously today we're going to wrap up this series, and I hope all of you have been blessed by it. I have. God has really tugged at my heart uh, going through these uh, three epistles. Uh, before we even dive into the text, though, I want to do a quick review of last week's text, Second uh, John. I'll give you five points, and the first point was a salutation. Say that. And that's in verses 1 through 3. And John, what he does, he identifies himself as the elder, and then he identifies the recipients of his letter uh, to the chosen lady and her children. And this is speaking of a local church in Ephesus and not an individual Christian woman and her children. We would say the church and its members. It's the church and its members whom John loves and the truth. And the truth not only lives and abides in us, I love this, but it will always also, also be within us forever, amen, and with us forever. Then John gives, the, uh, a three, gives them a threefold greeting and blessing. He says, grace, mercy, and peace is from, from, from who? From God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son. And what John did, John joined the Father and the Son together. Why? Why? To affirm, say affirm, the deity of Jesus Christ. And what he's doing, he's emphasizing their equal nature. And we can never really have grace, mercy, and peace apart from the truth and love of God the Father and the Son. Amen? The second point was the commendation. Say that. That's in verse 4. And John, what he does, he commends those who are walking in the truth, and it brought great joy to his heart. The third point was the exhortation. Say that. And that's in verses 5 through 6. And what John does, he exhorts the believers to, to love one another, and that loving one another is walking, say walking, in obedience to God's commands. The fourth point was the caution. Say that. The caution, verses 7 through 11, and John defines deceivers there and also calls believers to, to watchfulness, to be cautious of deceivers who are calling into question the truth about Jesus' full humanity and uh, not to let false teachers threaten their spiritual progress. And then John uh, tells the believers, don't let anyone who does not bring the true teaching of God's word to be allowed to teach in the church. And if you do, okay, if you do, what you're doing is aiding them in their work and approving of their false teaching. The fifth point was the communication. Say that. The communication, verses 12 to 13. And John there, he sees uh, the priority of in-person 
communication. It's there that the fullness of joy is experienced. And then John closes by bringing greetings from one Christian community, I love that, to another. This now brings us to today's text, and the title of my message is Three Men. Say that. Now, to set the stage for today's text, I want us to see how we got here. And I want you to follow me here. First John was written to the whole church, to all Christians everywhere, so that everybody in the whole church will know what real, authentic Christianity looks like. And it was about conversion, say conversion. And John's telling all believers how they could test the authenticity of their faith and how to be sure that they're truly saved. Second John was written to a local church, and it was about walking in the truth and, and walking in love and caution, say caution, and a caution about the false teachers who were trying to ease their way into the house church, because they met in houses, in the house church calling into question the reality of Jesus by denying the fullness of the truth of the incarnation. Third John was written to an individual. It's a personal letter from John to men by the name of Gaius. Say Gaius. Now, it involves three men, and we'll see that as we go throughout the text, but it's written primarily to this man, Gaius, who was a member of an unnamed church that John had the oversight of. It's, it's about an issue within the church community and how Christians relate to one another. Now, if you have been uh, with us throughout this entire series, you will have noticed that one of the main themes running through 1 John and 2 John, and, and uh, as well as we see in 3 John, is the emphasis on the truth. Say the truth. In 1 John, if you believe and know the truth, then this is how it shows up in your life in conversion. In 2 John, watch out for false teachers who will not bring you the truth, but a lie. But we are to walk in the truth. Amen? In 3 John, in the community, what holds us together is truth. Say truth. And that truth shows up in how we fellowship. It shows up in how we deal with hospitality, how we deal with issues within the church. In 3 John, 3 John shows us something of the problem of personalities within the body of Christ. And you see, today's text, we get a glimpse into the first century church and into the lives of three of its members. And here what John does, John confronts a church problem. That's what he does. There's some drama. Say, there's some drama. There's some drama going on in the church. There's tension in the church. In fact, as we go through the text, we will learn that there was not much difference between people in the church back then and uh, in the church today. You see, churches run into problems and will continue as long as saved sinners inhabit the church. <laughs> right? Warren Wiersbe said this, Whenever, excuse me, wherever there are people, there are problems and the potential for solving problems. Each of us must honestly face the question, am I part of the problem or part of the solution? Three points. Everybody say yes. Number one is this. I'm going to use this point that I used last week. The commendation of Gaius. The commendation of Gaius. 
And we'll look at verse 1. Verse 1, the elder. And once again, John introduces himself as he did in 2 John as the elder. Say the elder. And he says, to my dear friend or to the beloved Gaius. And I want to stop there. Now, now who is this man, Gaius? Well, there are a number of men named Gaius in the New Testament. Gaius was a very, very common name in the first century. Well, there's Gaius of Corinth, who Paul baptized and was the host of Paul, the church of Corinth. That's not this Gaius in the text, okay? There was Gaius of Macedonia, uh, who was one of Paul's companions and who suffered in the riot at Ephesus. Well, that's not this Gaius in the text. There was uh, Gaius of a town called Derby who uh, traveled with Paul on his last missionary journey. Well, that's not this Gaius in the text. So who is this man Gaius in today's text? Well, he might have been a leader, perhaps a teacher, perhaps even someone who is very important in the church. That's all we know, might know about him. Let's read on. Whom I love in the church. Say, whom I love, whom I love in the truth. Say, whom I love in the truth. So John loved Gaius, and he loved him in the truth. Why? Because Christian love is rooted in truth. Amen? Verse 2, dear friend or beloved, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you even as your soul is getting along well. And I'm going to read that from the New King James Version. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Did you guys get that? Now, now I want to make sure, friends, listen now, that we understand what this verse is saying. And you see, what we just read in this verse was a very common greeting. Very common greeting. Very common saying in ancient letters. And unfortunately, i got to say this, this verse has been misused, misquoted, and misapplied. And you see, there are those preachers and teachers, not, not going to mention their names, who use this verse to say that as a Christian, you should always be healthy and wealthy. And what they have done is they have wrongly taken this as a guarantee of perpetual wealth and perfect health for the Christian. In fact, there is this one pastor who takes this verse out of context and says this is a universal promise for perfect health for the Christian. Listen, church, this is not what the text is saying. Okay? In the Greek, the word prosper, say prosper, is euodo. Say euodo. It's euodo. The u means well. Odo or odos means road. It literally means the word prosper, a well road, a well path, or a well journey. And what John is literally saying to Gaius is, may life be a good journey for you. That's all he's saying. Have a good journey. I hope things go well for you. I hope this letter finds you well. Stay safe, Gaius. Stay, stay well. It was a very common saying in ancient letters. Amen? It's like me telling you, have a good day. Hope everything goes well with you. So this is not a verse to claim health and wealth as a believer, and to do so is to take it out of context. Now, now Gaius may not have been in good health, okay, or maybe he, just, he was just recovering from an illness. But this, that, this is what we do know in the text, that he had a healthy spiritual life. Come on, someone say amen. 
John commends Gaius for his healthy spiritual life. Go back to the text. Even as your soul is getting along well. He says this, just as your soul prospers. You see, John, John's emphasis here is on the prosperity of Gaius' soul. You guys got it? Listen, I know a lot of believers. I know a lot of precious believers, amazing believers who are physically sick, dealing with physical ailments, but who are strong spiritually. And one of them is my mom. I mean, I, I know a lot of believers who are just dealing with physical stuff, but yet they're strong spiritually. Amen? 2 Corinthians 4.16, Paul says this, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away. Isn't that true? Okay. Yet inwardly, I love this, we are being renewed day by day. Now, on the other hand, I know some believers who are strong physically. Uh, they are healthy, they are fit, but are spiritually unhealthy and spiritually weak. If you're safe, say amen. So this begs the question, how would you and I, how would we say our spiritual health is doing? How would we say this? How would we know if our soul is prospering? How would we know that we're making our spiritual health the most important thing? Well, we need to ask ourselves, what do we think about or look forward or look forward to and, and work toward more in life? I mean, do we spend as much time on our soul, on our spiritual health, at least as we do on other things, such as working out or being on YouTube or other things? Huh? Doing our hobbies? I don't know. Are we doing what's most important? Because Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, where physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things. Say godliness. Holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. So we need to ask ourselves, Christians, listen now, do our lives reflect a personal commitment to demonstrate Christ's likeness? Does it? So here's the lesson. You ready for the lesson? A prosperous soul, okay, is a soul that is in right relation to Jesus. A prosperous soul is a soul that is in right relation to Jesus. Listen, the ultimate measure of prosperity is not health and wealth, though God may bless you with that. He may bless you with that, okay? But the ultimate measure of prosperity is knowing Jesus and walking and living like you know him. That's it, amen? That's the ultimate prosperity. Got it? Verse 3, here we go. It gave me great joy, say great joy, to have some brothers come and tell you about your faithfulness. To what? The truth. Gaius owned it. I love that. Gaius owned it. He owned it. Okay? He, he personally took what he learned from the word, and he walked in it, and how you continue, love that, say continue, to walk in the what? Truth. So John commended Gaius 
for walking in the truth. John had frequently received good reports from traveling Bible teachers and, and missionaries and, other con, and others concerning Gaius' spiritual growth and godly life. So here's the lesson. Ready? Here's the lesson. True living comes from the living truth. True living comes from the living truth. Got it? Gaius not only knows the truth, believes it, meditates on it, delights in it, but he also lives it and walks in it. Right? Walking is the emblem in the New Testament of daily conduct. And this is the greatest testimony he possesses, right? The greatest testimony. He possesses the truth and it controls his life. And Gaius daily, daily excelled in truth. So that being said, question, would our fellow believers around us commend us for walking in the truth just as John commended Gaius for walking in the truth? I mean, would those around you say, man, dude, I can tell. I can just tell you're walking in the truth. I mean, I could see it. I sense it. I see it through your life, through your lifestyle. The way you speak, the way you think, the things you do, man, you are walking in the truth. That is the greatest testimony. Amen? Verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children, speaking of John's spiritual children, are walking in the truth. Now, this sounds familiar, doesn't it, friends, to what John said back in 2 John verse 4. Remember that? And John's heart was, was filled with joy when he heard that the believers were walking in the truth. I know that most of us here, hopefully, we've mentored somebody, right? If you ever had the blessing of mentoring someone, there's no greater joy as you're mentoring someone, right? And you're sitting with them, praying with them, meeting with them, talking about God's Word with them, filling them with the Word, right? Giving them knowledge of the Word. There's no greater joy than seeing them as you're doing that, seeing them walking in the truth. Amen? As your pastors, I preach to you every Sunday about the truth, God's Word, the truth, God's Word. There's no greater joy in my life when I see you taking that truth and applying it to your life. I tell you, it, it blesses my heart when I see you sold out to the truth of God's Word. Amen? Now, let me say this, and listen. Walking in the truth is not an easy thing. It's not, okay? It requires deliberate Purpose, a purpose, and effort both to understand the truth and to walk in it. It's, it's knowing and growing. Say it's knowing and growing. Okay? We don't just sit. We don't just sit and rest in the truth. Okay? We should walk in it. Walking implies steady movement in a purposeful direction. I'm going forward in the truth. I don't know what Peter does. Peter commands uh, us in 2 Peter 3.18, he says, but grow, say grow, in the grace and, and, and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow in the character of who Jesus is. Okay? And we will not grow in the knowledge of Christ by accident. Got it? We don't do it by accident. We must purpose, okay, to studying, to learn the truth, and faithful and obedient to walk in it. And as your pastor, it is my responsibility to teach you and feed you God's Word. To teach you and feed you His truth. And to feed you well. 
to fill your hearts with truth. Not my opinion, not philosophy, not politics, not the latest trend in the churches, but truth. The Word of God. That here it cry out, the truth of God's Word will be declared. Amen? We want to fill you with that truth and see you walk in it. That we would be filled with great joy. Amen? Verses 5 and 8. You're still with me? Say amen. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers, even though they are strangers to you. Verse 6. They have told the church about your love. Say love. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. Verse 7. It was for the sake. I love this. It was for the sake of of the name, say the name, that they went out. In other words, they went out in the name of Jesus. These missionaries, these pastors went out in the name of Jesus. Now, if you're safe, say amen. To represent Jesus is a supreme honor. Got it? Every single day, Christians, as you go about your day, you are representing the name of Jesus Christ. Someone please say amen. You're representing the name of Jesus Christ. We minister for the glory of His name, not our own. Amen? And he says this, receiving no help from the pagans, speaking of non-believers. Verse 8, we ought to therefore to show hospitality to such men so that we may work together for the truth. Now you might remember this. In 2 John, John tells the believers, don't show hospitality to the wrong kind of people, false teachers, right, uh, who want to take advantage of the church and get their false doctrine in. Here in 3 John, John's saying, show hospitality to the right people. Got it? Right? To the righteous ones, the faithful ones, the ones who teach the truth, those who teach sound doctrine. And that's exactly what Gaius did. He, he was commended for his hospitality. Say that. To the right kind of traveling ministers of the truth, of the gospel. And so in practical ways, Gaius faithfully excuse me, helped the Christian workers who came his way and who were ministering the word of God. Now I want to tell you, in those days, there were no hotels, there were no Airbnbs, there was no Expedia.com to get the best price. Okay, There were no, no such things as those places, but there were only inns. And the inns were rare. They were uncomfortable. The inns were often dangerous. The inns was not, an inn was not a good place, safe place to stay. So, so Gaius opened his heart and he opened his home. And, and it's, it, it could be that the church uh, was held in Gaius' home. You guys with me? So he opened up his heart and he opened up his home to these Christian workers of the truth of God's word. And he loved them. He loved them, okay? And he wanted to share in their ministries. He wanted to further the truth. I love, I love what Warren Wiersbe said. He said, a man might not be a preacher himself, but he can help others to preach. <laughs> Amen? So, so Gaius was commended for his faithfulness. In other words, he has been faithful to God's message, right? He was walking in the truth and also faithful to God's messengers. He provided loving help to these traveling preachers and teachers. Faithful to God's message and faithful to God's messengers. You guys ready for the lesson? Here we go. God's people should support God's work. God's people 
support God's Word. As I said earlier when I had shared with you about our financial situation, that God provides for His ministry through His people. Amen? So God's people should support God's work. Amen? Say the, the commendation of Gaius. Say that. Number two is the confrontation of Diotrephes. Say that. The con- confrontation of Diotrephes. Write that down. Now, Diotrephes may have been an elder. He may have been a deacon. Perhaps even some suggest that he, Diotrephes, was a, was a pastor. It's difficult to tell. Well, here, John, what John does is John calls out Diotrephes, who needs a rebuke. He calls him out. Okay? Look at verse 9. I wrote to the church, Paul saying, I mean, John saying, excuse me, but Diotrephes, who loves to be what? First, will have nothing to do with us. Now, now I want to say this. Diotrephes was a believer, not a non-believer. Okay, so this, this wasn't a problem with doctrinal defection. Rather, it was a problem with proud ambition. Proud ambition. Diotrephes wasn't a heretic. Rather, he was haughty. He was a high head. You guys with me? He wanted to be the boss of the church. He's like, John, you're not the boss of me, John. You're not the boss of me, okay? And you see, Diotrephes thought that he was a greater authority than John, and he didn't acknowledge John's authority as an apostle. He didn't uh, receive anything that John has to say, and he wanted nothing to do with John because acknowledging John would take the limelight off himself. Diotrephes wanted all the attention. He wanted all the focus on himself. He wanted people to think that he was the important one. And he said, hey, look at me, man. I'm awesome, huh? I know, huh? I'm awesome. That's what he wanted. And he put himself first. And he loved to be first, which is, which is a dead, dead giveaway that he was acting in the flesh. And this is always the philosophy of the flesh. Me first. Look at me. I want the glory. And he loved to be in the limelight. He loved to be in the spotlight. And he's completely unwilling to take a back seat to anyone who might upstage him in any way. Now, if you're safe, say amen. Whether we are, listen now, church, whether we are in leadership, a leadership position or not, we all need to be very careful lest we try to place ourselves first. Yep. Talk about the church. Amen? And you see, the problem with the atrophies was pride. Say pride. And pride is a serious issue for a leader or anyone for that matter in the body of Christ. Because what pride does, pride in the body of Christ leads to being divisive. It gets in the way and it hinders fellowship. It hinders community. Are you guys with me? And you see, Gaius excelled in truth. Diotrephes excelled in self. He was an egomaniac. He was motivated by pride. He he had the final say-so about everything in the church. And you see, his decisions, Diotrephes, his decisions were determined by one thing. What will this do for Diotrephes? It was all about him. Diotrephes was all about Diotrephes. What's sad, listen, church, what's sad but true is that there are people like Diotrephes in the church today. You guys with me? They're always, and they're always characterized by this attitude. They want to be first, and they want the glory. 
You ready for the lesson? Here we go. God gets the glory. <laughs> God gets the glory. Amen? He's the exalted one. He gets the glory. Not me, not you, not anyone. He gets the glory. We serve, we worship, and we honor an audience of one. Amen? God gets the glory. Say that. Verse 10. So if I come, I will call attention to what he is doing. John's saying, if I come, I'm going to come. I'm, I'm planning to come. I will call attention to what Diotrephes is doing. Gossiping maliciously about us. Whoo! The King James says, prating against us with malicious words. The word prating means talking foolishly or at tedious length about something. In other words, what he's saying is that Diotrephes, he, he jabbers. He jabbers, okay? He, he flaps his gums. Uh, he, he just talks and talks and talks with no substance to it. In other words, his speaking is nonsense. That's all he's doing. He's speaking nonsense. So John's saying he's guilty of slandering us and other believers. This guy's just jabbering. Then he says this, not satisfied with that, he, Diotrephes, refuses to welcome the brothers, those traveling missionaries and pastors. He refused to welcome those who were traveling, right, who, who went about from place to place speaking the truth of God. He would have nothing to do with them. Perhaps Diotrephes feared they might threaten his position. Then he says this, he also stops those who want to do so. He wants to stop those, right, who are being hospitable to the brothers, the missionaries, and puts them out of the church. He not only objected to the men who came who wanted to minister the truth of God's word, but he objected to those who have received them. He kicked them out of the church. He excommunicated them. Okay? Diotrephes. What a dude, huh? Right? Verse 11, John says this, Dear friend, beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from who? God. Anyone who does, does what is evil has not seen God. Now I want to say this. John is not saying that everyone who does good belongs to God. Okay? Rather, everyone who belongs to God ought to do good and not evil. You see, John gave us two clear examples one good, Gaius, and one bad, Diotrephes. And he now applies the point. Follow the good. That's what he's saying. You heard what Diotrephes done, what he's doing? Follow the good, right? Follow the good, Gaius, and one bad, Diotrephes. Don't follow him. Got it? Don't follow him. Okay? Do good. Say do good. So here's the lesson. You ready for the lesson? And we ought to, we ought to do good because God's a good God. Amen? Here's a lesson. Imitate good. Imitate good. What you going to imitate? Good or bad? Huh? Who are you going to imitate? Jesus, right? In, in, text, in, in the text here, imitate Gaius, not Diotrephes. Amen? We must imitate what is good. Don't let bad examples influence us. Got it, church? Number three. Here we go. We're almost done here. Number three is the affirmation of Demetrius, the affirmation of Demetrius, the affirmation 
of Demetrius. And, and Demetrius was well known to John, who was now at Ephesus and was probably being entrusted with carrying this letter from Ephesus to Gaius and the church where Gaius served. You guys got it so far? Demetrius is being affirmed in the text as we finish the rest of the text for his example. Say example. And his example shines in three ways. You guys ready? Verse 12. Demetrius, John writes, is well spoken by who? Everyone. By who? Everyone. Everyone speaks well of Demetrius. Let me ask you. Does everyone speak well of you? Huh? As I see you and, le- and the way you're living your life and, you know, the things that you do and how you respond slash react, do people speak well of you? He says Demetrius is well spoken by everyone. Got it? Another way his example shines is, look at, and even by the truth itself. <laughs> That's awesome. And even by the truth itself, truth witness that his belief, his conduct, his character conform to reality itself. In other words, he practiced God's truth. Amen? He practiced God's word in his life. Question, is your life in harmony with God's truth? Christians, listen, the word of God, say the word of God. It's an awesome word, right? And it's the Word of God that shapes our character. It's the Word of God that molds our lives into the image of Christ. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone and even by the truth itself. And the third way his example shines is this. We also speak well of him. And you know that our testimony, John says, is true about him. John's evangelistic team attests to the credibility of Demetrius. And what John is simply saying is, hey, we, we can trust this guy, man. We can trust this guy because he lives consistently with the Word of God. We approve of him. We vouch for him. We're endorsing, listen now, his credibility. Got it? His testimony, listen friends, his testimony was so extensive that it was commonly reported among all those who knew him. He had a good report from all. Demetrius. Good report from all, from the truth, and from John and his friends. You see, his integrity, say integrity, made his reputation, his character, okay, stand the test. Got it? Here's the lesson. You ready for the lesson? Integrity matters. Say that. Integrity matters. Integrity. Great word. One thing my dad always told me, mijo, integrity. Integrity. That's all you have. And I'll never forget that. It rings within my ears every single day. Mijo, integrity. That's all that matters. And it's true. Integrity, listen now, is acting consistently with what you say you believe. That's integrity. Acting consistently 
with what you say you believe. You're not a hypocrite. If I say I believe in Jesus, if I say I believe his word, if I say that I'm saved, then I will act consistently with that. Integrity. Amen? And this is exactly the way Demetrius lived his life. So let's wrap this up as we look at John's farewell greetings. And you will notice that it's similar to the conclusion of 2 John. Verse 13 and 14. Here we go. I have much to write you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. Verse 14. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Some things, you know some things, say some things, should be communicated in person rather than a letter. Right? Okay. Or a, or a text. Because written communication can't convey context. It can't convey tone as person-to-person communication can. Right? Then he says this. Peace to you. Say that. Peace to you. Why did John say that? I'll tell you why. Because John desires that the church in Ephesus would experience peace even in the face of the problem of Diotrephes. I know there's some things going on. There's, there's, there's some friction going on, tension going on, but peace to you. You can have peace in the midst of that. This guy's a jerk right now, okay? But you can have peace in the midst of that. You see, we have the resources in Jesus Christ to have peace even in unsettled season. What is your unsettled season right now? What are you going through right now? You can have peace. The peace that surpasses all understanding. Amen? You know it's a blessing. Well, let's finish this. The friends... Here, send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. You know, it's a blessing to have Christian friends. Amen? I got some Christian friends, and I love them. It's so great to have Christian friends, amen? And John wanted to have Gaius to convey his greetings to his friends. Personally and individually, as if John were doing it himself. So let's just close here. What we need in, in context and the text itself, what we need more okay, are more Christians. More of today are Christians like Gaius and Demetrius and fewer like Diotrephes. Let's all stand.